when you're letting someone go, it's oftentimes, like most of the time, it's also what's best for them. If someone isn't fitting in an organization, the worst thing you could do for them is to like keep them there, drag it out, and defer their own goals and their own aspirations. That doesn't always make the conversation any easier. Um, it doesn't make the short term any easier because it's, yeah, it's a big deal to move companies after you've invested so much into building that organization. But that conversation can be done in a more humane way. Welcome to Inside Out, the podcast about badass millennials living out their dreams and how they got there. I'm your host, Jane Z. Before we start today's show, I have an announcement. Drumroll, please. We are doing a season two. Okay, so here's the deal. So far, we're on episode 19 of this podcast. Since I launched the show in November of last year, I've learned a ton from each and every one of you. Thank you so much for all your feedback, your reviews, your support. And of course, I've learned a lot from all the amazing guests that I've had on the show so far. Two big themes that have come out of the episode so far are entrepreneurship and mental health. And these are two things that I care a lot about. A big part of my own journey is around starting and building a business and all the ups and downs of that. On the one hand, it's super exciting to be your own boss and work on your own dream, just like I'm doing now with full-time podcasting. But on the other hand, it can be really frustrating at times, lonely, and that can really take a toll on your mental and physical health. I know there's a ton of books and podcasts and resources out there talking about how to build a business. And I haven't seen a ton around how to take care of yourself while building a business. And I think that's really important to talk about. And so season two is going to be dedicated to those topics. I'm going to be bringing on business owners and startup founders and really pulling back the curtain on how they're building their business and how they're staying sane on top of it all. So if you're thinking about starting a business or you're already building one, you can think of this as startup therapy. In the coming weeks, I will be reaching out to some of you asking for feedback and ideas of what topics you want me to cover, any guests um, you think I should talk to, and uh, any other way I can help you with your ventures. So that's season two, which will be launching in a couple of months. In the meantime, we have a few episodes left of season one. Next week, we have my friend Vivian Waltz, who's a public health professional. She actually worked for the CDC on the Ebola response, and she's now working on the COVID response in Montreal. So that'll be super interesting. And then the week after that, I will finally be coming on the show to talk about my story per some of y'all's requests. Yeah, I'll be talking about my entrepreneurship journey, which will tee us up nicely for season two. Okay, on to today's guest. We have on the show Mark Pan, a friend that I met through Summerbridge Hong Kong 10 years ago, where we were both teaching English in Hong Kong. He has a background as a teacher and now works in education technology. He started out at Coursera, which is the online course platform that you may have heard of, and he now leads HR at Newzella, which is a platform that delivers content to students at different reading levels. In this episode, Mark shares how an acting class helped him become a better teacher, stories from the back of his classroom in Malaysia, and some of his best HR tips for whether you're an employee or a manager. We also break into a few musical numbers, so stay tuned for that. And as always, um, I love to hear from you all. So let's be friends on Instagram. You can find me at Inside Out with Jane. Um, my Facebook page is now also live at Inside Out with Jane. And you can email me at hello at, you guessed it, insideoutwithjane.com. And with that said, enjoy the show. And we're live. live. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> that was so synchronized. I wasn't even prepared for the thousands of people watching this. <laughs> We're here with Mark Pan, who is one of my great friends from our Hong Kong days, which is what, like 10 years ago? Oh, gosh, Literally a decade ago. Let's, let's go with nine years. Yeah, like Maybe nine it was and 10 a half years, years, actually. Okay, yeah, nine and yeah. a half. It hasn't been 10 Mark, yet. how have you evolved as a human being in the last 10 years? 
Ooh, I think the better question is how I've devolved. It's, I, um, I haven't changed at all. No, I'm the exact same person whom you first met 10 years ago. So, um, yeah, I think you were literally wearing the same shirt when we met at the airport. You know, I do have a lot of clothes that still fit me from middle school and some of which I still wear. You know, okay, I don't know if this will even show up on camera, but my leggings that I'm wearing right now. <laughs> yeah, are show from... us your leggings. <laughs> They're from grade eight. I got these when I was 13. No way. Lululemon. They're not sponsored, but great quality wow. stuff. Mm -hmm. In case they're interested in sponsoring, that would be a great, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> great end. That would be great. <laughs> Lululemon wasn't even cool like back then, was it? Well, I grew up in Vancouver and it's a Vancouver based brand. So oh, okay. it probably started as being cool there. Mm -hmm. yeah. Got mm -hmm. it. Such a trend center. Yeah. Yeah. Half of my clothes are either from like elementary school, middle school, or hand me ups from my little sister. Hand me ups. So yeah. she got clothes before you did. Uh, no, she just unloads clothes that she doesn't want onto me. It's not and like a size thing. It's just more of a like she buys stuff and then, or actually she gets it for free or acquires it somehow. Um, some of which I, I have no idea how she does it, but she just unloads all of it onto me. You got a lot of plants behind you. Are you a plant dad? Do you consider yourself? Oh, this is actually the perfect distance because you can't see the tips which are fraying. Um, uh, yeah. My friend like many other people are going home home for an extended period of time before they hopefully come back. Um, I feel like half of whom haven't actually come back, but this person says that he's coming back. And so he unloaded all of his plants to me oh. thinking that I'm responsible or something like that and can take care of plants. I can't. They're like, struggling. I hear we'll they see. have an app for that. For struggling true, plant yeah. dads. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. We'll see if they yeah. if the plants last through the end of this podcast. I'm not sure if they will, but if they do, <laughs> then I'll try it out. All right. We'll we'll keep an eye out. Um, speaking <laughs> of apps, you grew up in Silicon Valley before it was like tech bro central <laughs> that it is today. Um, what what do you remember about your childhood? Gosh, tech bro central. <laughs> um, I it's funny. I, sorry, I don't mean to offend anyone. There. Are, validating no, I, things about there are absolutely many tech bros in this place <laughs> um you know i i grew up in a very in the suburbs of san jose like in the morgan hill school district so a lot more uh rural and suburban than um one would think when you think of san jose being i think the ninth biggest city in the u.s um also the safest oh. big city in the u.s for 2016 2015 one of the years um, so it, it's very much not like the, your typical urban experience. Um, and so my experience was just very much limited to like whatever was the two mile radius around you where you could get to on your bike, um, mm. where you could hop on your bike and or scooter because I was super cool like that. Um, or my skateboard. Like not which an electric scooter, but like the L-shaped <laughs> things. No, you know, like 30 years ago in Silicon Valley, everyone had hovering scooters that would just kind of <laughs> like teleport you. We're living mm -hmm. in the future here. They're really um, ahead of the time. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> no, one of those like dorky razor scooters, which are so much fun. And Love I think it. I still have actually. Um, yeah. So that was, that was my world. It very much was not Silicon Valley. Um, it was that it was uh, being the middle child. It was, it was the makeup, the high heels, the hair dye, uh, <laughs> all of that. That was certainly more defining my life than, um, than the Googles or the IBMs or Cisco's being like five, 10 miles away. And you're not joking about the hair dye. That was a thing. It was a thing. <laughs> Are you going to tell that story on the air? <laughs> uh, if we you tell your hair dye story on the air. <laughs> I mean, it's not much of a story. I got a magenta streak in college. But it was before colorful hair was like a thing. Again, trend setting. I believe it was pink. Was it magenta? I mean, magenta is like an offshoot of pink. Oh, okay. Much. Um, what color was yours? So mine was used with red hair dye. One day, I think probably in seventh or eighth grade, my sisters were just in the bathroom doing each other's hair and they had extra hair dye. So naturally they say, give, again, give me the hand-me-ups, the leftovers. And so uh, they didn't bleach it because they didn't want to do like a good job on my hair or anything. So they just like did it straight up with red, um, which red plus black equals like really, 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 really dark purple, which you could kind of see when I'm in the sunlight. Um, so I had purple hair, dark purple hair for a few months. How old were you? Probably 12 or 13. So like your early teen years. What were you like as a teenager? Oh, gosh. Uh, 
uh probably probably a little angsty probably like still very much in my shell being being a middle child um i i really enjoyed school though i was one of those kids who just loved every year of school middle school was the best so was high really? school and elementary school yeah you didn't like it Man. oh well i didn't have middle school i in <laughs> yeah Canada where doesn't I have middle up... school you just like skip those three years it's funny every province does it differently but in bc it's kindergarten to eight is elementary school or kindergarten to seven and then eight to 12 is high school hmm. so i didn't Got really it. have a middle school phase but yeah, so does that mean y'all you, just skipped your angsty like puberty phase and just go straight from childhood to adulthood <laughs> oh yeah we're all just butterflies out of our cocoons got it that makes a lot of sense no mm -hmm. wonder canada is so cool it's that glacier water you know yeah all of us americans are still getting <laughs> yeah <laughs> we're all still getting over our middle school phase and traumas mm -hmm. that's why we're so problematic deep cuts i i went to high school like in downtown in the downtown area and so it was i guess for me like the most eye-opening point transition at that time um or up, up in my childhood like going growing up in the local area going to middle school elementary school within walking distance um so high school was yeah it was a whole new region it felt like a whole new country to me um and the my school was really transformative in that it was a like uber liberal Jesuit, like, which is one of the more hippy dippy, like, uh, orders of the Catholic church. Um, so it's a Jesuit school, um, mm. that very much emphasized social justice and service. And, um, I think that was where probably one of the first instances where I had a realization of like, Hey, like there are a lot of things out there in the world that I really enjoy like engaging in and trying to make a difference in. and homelessness was, was one of them. Um, mm in terms of both a of a kind of like a head and a heart decision so a head and in, in that it's like an academically fascinating topic um it's it's so inter interconnected with all these different disciplines um but also heart and that like hey yeah this is my city this is like a few miles away from my high school in in downtown san jose um mm. and it was a combination of those two things that just made it like a really uh engaging and and hopefully worthwhile thing to do that really kick-started my interest in being more involved in the community that's awesome did you grow up catholic i did i guess <laughs> the answer was is yes yeah absolutely like my family went to church every sunday and we went to chinese school at that church every sunday right mm. before church and we went to sunday school after church every sunday and starting in middle school i went to bible study every saturday so that's how i spent my saturday wow. nights um lit right that's how they get you you like can't go to the parties because you're at bible study on saturday nights <laughs> um and somehow i became a bible study leader too they really got you yeah they got me good um and it was a lot of fun i i enjoyed my time there met a lot of great people and um think learned a lot from studying the the scripture as a text like as a piece of literature i think i picked up a lot of my values from that from being involved in church being involved in um, my catholic high school Everyone I know who's like part of a Christian or Catholic community tends to be very open in that way, like welcoming. Mm, right. Love that about my religious friends. <laughs> so to clarify, <laughs> Canada does have religion. Is this like a stereotype? <laughs> no, I'm just wondering, if you don't have middle school, do you have religion? Oh, <laughs> only religious middle schools. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. Anyway, so you moved across the country to go to college. I did. Um... Yeah, first time on the East Coast was going to college. I went to the University of Pennsylvania in Philadelphia, so a very urban school. Um, I chose it namely because they because it was super urban and just, just right right next to downtown and um, right next to uh, West Philadelphia, um, kind of sandwiched in between there. And they had a really strong program on like urban studies, which was what I was interested mm -hmm. in um, at the time. Um, so that encompasses like homelessness that encompass many other things like um, economic development and education, which is what I soon shifted my interest into um, during my time at Penn. It was a lot of fun. I can't say it was very academic. I think I probably spent like most of my time, well, like a third of my time doing student government, a third of my time maybe like volunteering or engaging in other activities and um, doesn't probably like the other third socializing. 
and maybe like if with like through the rounding errors, you'll find like one or two percentage points with academics and taking classes. Did you still end up with like a 4.0 GPA? No. <laughs> <laughs> no. Who do you think I am? Student government president? Were you president? You probably were. No, I was a lowly vice president. Come on. So, beep. Huge difference. No, that's super cool, though. Did I tell you that UPenn was my dream school at one point? You did not. Why is that? Well, for one, it's the social ivy. <laughs> <laughs> and you were but such a social I, cool kid. I wanted to be. But I got waitlisted and I visited campus and it was like, well, I'll tell you what it is. I went to the admissions office and I was hoping to speak with a counselor. Oh, to and like demand this... your entrance? Exactly. I had my like art portfolio for some reason. Like I love oh. this like giant portfolio there thinking that like, oh my God, like they're going to love my AP art and just <laughs> accept me. But anyway, there was um, a probably, I don't know what year he was, but he was a student and like one of those student volunteers in the admission office, just like sitting on one of the couches and we struck <laughs> a conversation and he was telling me how great it was. And um, if you can't tell already, I get like pretty easily convinced <laughs> by just talking to people. So somehow he sold me and I was like, wow, I can really see myself here. Oh, my gosh. But wow. then it didn't work out. Oh, my gosh. What a bummer. <laughs> I know. So they I didn't. Was like, oh, I already have a friend. <laughs> that guy, that person sounds planted. Like, like the person was part of the admissions, like, volunteer committee and just happened to be sitting there waiting to chat you up or anyone else who walks through the door. Yeah, his title's probably like waitlist ambassador. Right. Or like secret undercover student. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he was Maybe probably he was a student at like student. Drexel or a high school student, just like pretending to be a Penn student. <laughs> Oh, aspiring actor. That's what it is. Oh, yeah. Does Penn have an acting program? Uh, probably. I did take an intro to acting class senior year, so I assume oh. it is a program, however that is hmm. defined. Did that help you at all, that class? It didn't help my GPA. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I probably did throw a big fuss about it, but... <laughs> I don't remember what it was about me specifically. I do remember that the reason I took it was because um, I did want to become a better teacher. And mm. I realized that the most, probably one of the things I struggled the most with is putting on a really straight, stern face when disciplining kids. Yeah, um, I can't see that. Oh, yeah, give I'm us so your best stern teacher expression. <laughs> How's that? You look more like an angry pilot. But that's probably because of the headphones. <laughs> I would be okay <laughs> with an angry pilot. Like if I could sustain that, that'd be great. Yeah. Um, but yeah. my problem is just that I can I can't sustain it because I'm I love those kids who are like screwing around and pulling on other kids' hair and like stealing other kids' pencils. Um, oh God! <laughs> what do you mean you love them? <laughs> like, they're so much fun. That was maybe me as a kid. <laughs> But okay, so say that happens, I'm sure it did in one of your classes, like, how do you handle it? Oh, uh, okay, here's an example. So after college, I was teaching in Malaysia, and there was a group of uh, three boys who were um, in the back, who were in the very front of the classroom, actually, um, working on this handout that I had printed out for them. And I'm in the back of the classroom, like I look at them from the back and I'm like, oh, they look really studious. They're like pointing at the sheet of paper, they're um, pretend they're like making marks and just looking really studious. But I walk by um, and I hear them speaking in Chinese. And by the way, mm. they don't know that I know Chinese, Mandarin Chinese, because um, I'm teaching English. So I'm like the whole year, I'm just like, I don't know any Chinese at all because I wanted them to speak English to me. Mm. Um, and so I walk up and they're talking to each other in Chinese, thinking that I can't understand them. And they're saying something along the lines of, oh, Mr. Mark's nose is so symmetrical and so straight. <laughs> <laughs> All while like pointing at like problem number three and problem number four and like making scribbles, pretending to be doing work. Wow. That is and next level. It is next level. They're brilliant. They deserve an A in acting class. Um, <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah, they're not working at all, but they're hilarious. They're just like, they found and they like deviated this incredible way of not working while pretending to be working. Kids are so smart. Did you That's call them out? Takeaway. No, no, because I don't oh. know. 
I couldn't like reveal that I knew Chinese not until the last Damn. day of school. <gasps> so you told them the last day? Yeah, they were pissed. Oh. <laughs> First they were, were they shocked. Were they embarrassed though? Some of them were. <laughs> oh shoot. A lot of the like middle school girls were like really embarrassed thinking that <laughs> I probably heard stuff that they said that I really didn't. Um <laughs> But like when you say that, like everyone is just like going through the head of the entire year, like rewinding and thinking through like, oh, what's every single thing I said in Chinese, like next to Mark or Mr. Mark, as they would call me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now I'm looking at your nose and it is very symmetrical. <laughs> <laughs> Fun fact. I got a nose job three or four months ago, uh, like right before by Thanksgiving. Uh, yeah, very much by choice. You can't be forced to get a nose job. I don't think that's something you can well, do. Well, no, like, did you get, like, injured or something? Or <laughs> um, I had issues, uh, not, like, major issues breathing, but just some, like, uh, congestion in the upper area of the nose. And so, um, oh. yeah, so I went in and they, like, cleared it out and chopped a few things out. And so now I can breathe with my nose more clearly. Unfortunately, well, it does look the same. They didn't give me like oh, a celebrity nose. I was going to say, like, is it more symmetrical now? <laughs> <laughs> you didn't notice my brand new nose? <laughs> Ding. <laughs> right. Wow. Unfortunately, hasn't made me run like three minutes faster each mile. Um, Damn it. But I can sleep a little bit better now. That makes a big difference. I've been appreciating the value of good sleep recently. I yeah. I definitely need my eight hours, but I feel like my sleep quality still needs to be improved. Maybe hmm. I should look into this nose thing. I can recommend an excellent nose doctor. And the best part <laughs> okay. is that you can tell everyone you got a nose job. <laughs> That's true. And they'll be like, oh, it looks more symmetrical. <laughs> or, oh, <laughs> did you choose to get a nose job? <laughs> yeah. Uh... <laughs> So when we met in Hong Kong, you were still in college. I thought you were close oh, that's to right. done. I think you're right. Okay. Wait, yeah, wh what am I right about? <laughs> Both. <laughs> I think, yeah, I think I was probably ending my junior year, between junior and senior year. Mm. Yeah, because I remember you being older, <laughs> which you still are. <laughs> yes. It's funny how that works, right? <laughs> Catch up, Jane. Yeah. Because <laughs> you were also like our RA. I was not your RA. <laughs> I was maybe de facto taking upon some of those responsibilities. You didn't have an RA. You were allowed to do whatever you wanted. I just remember I was the owner, the czar of the printer. So people had to go through me to get something printed. Mm, and... That's probably why I never got anything printed. Yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, Mark, oh God. Yeah, <laughs> No exactly. printing for me. <laughs> um, and I, one of my favorite jobs in college was being an RA. So... I might have brought my RA self a little too much to Hong Kong, mm, in which case I deeply mm, apologize mm. for forcing you to participate in activities. Oh, don't apologize for being yourself. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think you would, we were, we all had a good time. We we're well taken care of. That was just a, such a great summer. Like I really love Summer Bridge. What like, stood out the most to you? Um, and what is Summer Bridge, Jane? Okay, so Summer Bridge Hong Kong is a program um, where teachers from U.S. and different Western countries come to Hong Kong and teach at these middle school English language learning programs. And so um, we got all got to Hong Kong and we were split into three school groups. So I was part of the South Island School. And we taught for, I think it was a month or two months, and we each taught like a different subject. So I taught journalism, and my elective was yoga, which is fun. Um, and your Lululemons. I, and the Lululemons, yeah. But I loved, like, I still keep in touch with some of my students. It was just like a great little wholesome community. Uh, we had to wake up really early at like 6 a.m. every day to take the bus to, <laughs> to the South Island School. Um, and the kids had to wake up really early, too, because they were bussed in. But I remember like we just had such high spirits and there was all these like songs that we would sing like S-S-S-S-U-M-M-M-M-E-R. B-R-I-D-G-E, Summer Bridge. <laughs> summer bridge and we did like spirit fingers and when the kids got off the bus we'd like 
hold our hands up and they'd like run through <laughs> uh, our tunnel. Um, yeah. And we like, we would sit in these family groups at lunchtime and hang out and we'd like all write letters to one another. It was a chance for uh, the kids to practice their English, but also get to know the teachers a little bit more. Yeah, I'm probably explaining things a little bit rambly and backwards, but those no. were what I remember. It was just like a very like fuzzy, warm experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. your letters are probably like super sought after in like fancy origami paper with the coolest gel pens and stickers. Oh my God. Pastel gel pens. I think I just like tore off sheets of my note notepad and scrawled something <laughs> in pens in pencil. What do you remember about Summerbridge? I remember a lot of what I think a lot of what you mentioned, the spirit of like camaraderie, the spirit of just how excited people were to learn um, and how it felt like very felt very much like a camp where people were mm -hmm. learning not just academic topics, but I guess like learning confidence, learning how to be themselves and be comfortable in their skin. So that was a lot of fun. I I also remember like after Summer Bridge needing like a period of a couple of months to like stop doing Summer Bridgey things like doing mm. cheers every time someone did a good job. Oh, yeah. Um or like throwing support to them, spirit. someone with their hands. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the spirit mm. fingers thing you mentioned like every time someone needed support we would just like do this support. weird hand motion as if you're like <laughs> sprinkling water on them which was very <laughs> cultish. <laughs> Um, and so that took several months to wean off and become a normal person again. I would live in Summerbridge land again, though. <laughs> yeah. And now our third sponsorship, Summerbridge Hong Kong. <laughs> Actually, though, they'd be a great partner. <laughs> just saying. <laughs> Surely, if you're out there listening. Right. <laughs> so with Summerbridge, was that your first teaching experience where you caught the bug? Uh, I, had, I participated in the same program but in San Jose, I think between high school and college, or maybe sometime in high school. Um, and the thing I love most about that program is just that it's not just great for the kids, but it, it really is fostering so many future teachers um, mm. or future people who really care about education. Um, similar in the way that like TFA does, but I think uh, the proportion of people who go from Breakthrough or Summerbridge to teaching is, um, I don't know how it, it would compare, but it's like strikingly high in my mind. Um, mm. So many people in that program are still teachers today, and I find that really neat. Um, mm. But yeah, that was certainly the start of my the, like my first foray into what teaching could feel like and be. Was it for it you as well? The start of something new. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't realize this was a musical. <laughs> are you going to be Troy? Uh, I I can do the dance of we're all in this together. We're all in this together. Yeah! Once we see who we are, we're all stars and we see that. <laughs> Beautiful. Yes, millennials <laughs> over here, can you tell? All right, I challenge you to sprinkle in one other musical number before this podcast is finished. All right, deal. Great. Um, but to answer your question, I did do some teaching in high school as well as a piano teacher and music theory teacher. So I did that. And then in college, after Summer Bridge, I ran uh, summer camps for two summers at this environmental camp back home in Vancouver. Cool. That was like a lot more rambunctious than Summer Bridge. <laughs> uh, but also, also a good learning experience. I do miss teaching, though. I miss the youth. <laughs> now the my youth. only exposure is through TikTok, which is like a certain subset of the youth. You, it's not fully representative. I thought everyone was on TikTok. I mean, everybody's watching it. Not everybody's making stuff. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like you had a ton of education experience. How did you decide to go? You went to the GSC as well, or you were involved in the, the GSC. So you clearly like, had thought about teaching, and, but you ended up working on an ed tech company. What was that thought yeah. process for you? I love how you're turning this into interviewing me now. Oh, absolutely. But... <laughs> I have a long list of questions. <laughs> That's for another episode, Mark, but I'll answer this one. Um, so I went to the GSD for design, but yes, I spent a lot of time at the education school um, because I went to this hackathon at the education school and met my, who was to become my co-founder, Grace, and she was a middle school science teacher who trekked up from Brooklyn to Boston and we hit it off. We both 
um, had studied variations of geography in undergrad. We're both into design and classroom spaces. And thus Room to Learn was born, aka a platform for teachers to share designs and better design their classrooms to meet learning and teaching needs. Um, so that brought me to the education school a lot, as well as the Harvard Innovation Lab. And yeah, I spent a lot of time with teachers and educators. Very warm world. That is super cool. Thank you for sharing on your own podcast. <laughs> You're welcome. I'll refrain for from sharing. asking you too many other questions. I'll probably do an episode where I go through the whole story one of these days. I'll be happy to volunteer to write up some hard hitting questions. Stay tuned. Not That's yet. episode Stay 34. <laughs> Ooh, very specific here. Um, <laughs> back to your story and your teaching experience. Um, what was Malaysia like other than the uh, kids who didn't know you speak spoke Chinese? <laughs> Um, yeah, that was a big part of it. Um, mm -hmm. Malaysia was the first time that I was, that I felt like I was really on my own and could like do what I wanted to do. Um, like college is very much, it's just still prescriptive. Like there's a right path. There's, there, there are things you're supposed to do and to be successful, you have to do X, Y, Z. Um, but then in Malaysia, yeah, I knew I had to be a, do a good job at teaching, but what do I do with the other like 18 hours of my day? Um, and it actually was 18 hours because in Malaysia, they, fun fact, Malaysia, at least at the time, had the most number of school holidays and vacations out of any other country in the world. And that very much also translates to just how uh, how chill like the uh, everyday workday is as well. Um, so we had a lot That's of time cool. to contemplate, to explore, to travel, um, to hang out with uh, the kids doing extracurricular activities and whatnot. So yeah, it was a lot of fun to be able to do both um, to get both get really, really deeply involved in the community uh, during the weekdays and then on weekends being able to like, hop on a bus and go anywhere else um, mm. with the other 49 folks in the cohort. That sounds fun. And then did you come back to San Jose? I did. Um, I, I came back uh, trying to figure out what I wanted to do. I knew that teaching wasn't the right thing for me. It was a lot of fun. Like I love the creative aspect of lesson planning. I love like hanging out and making fun of kids and teaching kids. <laughs> um, but I didn't have the stamina for it, for like teaching in an inner city school in the US. Um, it's just mm -hmm. so grueling, so under-resourced, such an underappreciated job and super important job in the US. Um, yeah. For me, I think about, especially now, um, I think about career pathing a lot and I just didn't know the term back then. Um, but career pathing and growth. So like in corporate America, uh, career pathing is like, what's your next step? Um, the most obvious one is like you start off as a junior and then you go to mid-level and then a senior level. Um, and there's always this additional growth. You always know what you need to do to get to that next level and then have different responsibilities at the next level. As a teacher, like there isn't, there's a very, the career path is a lot more I guess a lot less natural of a career path. So you start off as, as a teacher, you get really good at it. Usually by year three, that's when you like get really comfortable in teaching and, and get really effective as studies show in teaching. But then where do you go from there? Uh, you get to pick up a litter in other classes. You can take on different class loads, um, but the core of what you're doing is still the same. You're just refining those skills rather than doing something completely different. That's still challenging you and forcing you to learn as much as you're learning those first two or three years. The alternative path is just going into administration, um, mm. which is a totally different skill set um, mm -hmm. and not something that I would enjoy as much. And so um, as someone who really values growth and values like getting to know that next step, um, that was also something that I, would have liked to have seen in education. I think would will one day like be more of a thing in education too. When I was in high school and elementary school, there was a lot of older teachers who were just lifers. And someone was like, oh, teaching is the only profession where you're doing the exact same thing day one to the day you retire. Mm. Which like, in a way, from a career pathing perspective, which is such an HR word, love it. <laughs> I apologize. <laughs> I heard the, that term the first time recently, and I was like, oh, I never thought you could use path as a verb, but you there probably you go. can't, just kind of like how you can't use lesson planning as a verb either. But <laughs> I feel like that is more of a verb because you're planning is a verb, right? Right. Sure. <laughs> Two former English teachers over here, like, <laughs> uh, what was I talking about? Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, teaching being like kind mm -hmm. of stagnant. 
in a way. But then, like, you get so many perks, like summers off and winter breaks and spring break. You got to be around kids. And I guess you're kind of learning with the times through the new kids that come into your classroom. Yeah, you're yeah. still learning a ton. And you're still, yeah, by no means is every year the same. You might, you'll definitely be tweaking your lesson, like, year over year. Um, mm-hmm. Everyone, like, overhauled their lessons in 2020. So, absolutely. Right. So when you were saying about teachers, like not really getting the value or respect they deserve in this country, I wonder if the pandemic will change that or even has changed that already. I got targeted for ads on Facebook to like become a teacher in Rhode Island. Like, (laughs) I think it was like September 2020. And I was like, oh, wow, there must be a lot of teachers ditching now because of like Zoom Mm. school. I'm curious to hear your thoughts, like now being in the ed tech world, how you're seeing just K-12 education change overall, like both yeah. from a Newzella standpoint, but also in general, like what do you think are going to be the big things coming with hybrid learning? Yeah, I guess I'll speak like more broadly, like outside of Newzella. I, I think in K-12 in the U.S. specifically, I think with 2020, there have been obviously a huge number of changes. Um, some of the more obvious ones might be just a lot of companies going uh, either getting acquired or folding because um, schools are focusing a lot more on like the absolute the absolute essentials of what they need um, to spend mm-hmm. their money on. There's uh, their budgets are just much more tumultuous now with uh, being it being unclear how um, how they're going to be spending money or like when they're going to be going back to school. Um, there's been so much more of a focus on equity um, with technology. Like, can you should you be able to assign a piece of homework if not 100% of your students um, have internet access? Can that piece of homework be something that requires internet access? Like something that I think most many people don't realize is just how digital schools were in like even before COVID. So in 2019, something like 99% of schools already had broadband internet access, um, mm. and about 80% of schools had one device per student, which means like one iPad or laptop or Chromebook for each student, um, what they call a one-to-one school. And Mm -hmm. that was before COVID. So like with COVID, I don't know the numbers like post 2020 um, just yet, but I'm sure that's like drastically accelerated. And so when schools do go back, that those numbers will be like roughly 100% of schools will have broadband internet access, might go from 80 to 90. The vast, vast majority of schools will have a device for every single student, which solves a huge piece of that um, puzzle of like, the equity puzzle of hey like if it's not accessible or, and equitable can we can we rely on this tool and so mm. like having that problem solved i think will really open up the door for a lot more education tech to be introduced into schools without that question of equity lingering like for newzella does that mean that you know your market is expanding and you can serve more schools after the pandemic i think so in the sense that we're a tech tool and in order to use newzella at least to, in its full extent, like you need your students to have full access to internet. Um, you need your them to have access to that like at school and probably at home a lot of the time mm-hmm. as well. Um, so yeah, I, I certainly think it does like unlock more of a market for that. Mm. What is Newzella? <laughs> uh, yeah, Newzella is a it's a learning engagement platform. Um, but what that means is that it's it's a place where a teacher and student can go on to find. Um, Right now, it's a lot of engaging reading materials. So um, you can go on right now, log in, and see there, there might be some news articles about what, about uh, some things that happened over the past couple of days. You might find some news overviews or about articles about how things work from science studies, science to social studies to English. Um, but then the cool part is that um, if you, Jane, being such a smarty pants that you are, having skipped middle school, uh, are reading at a 12th grade reading level, but I'm reading at a fourth grade reading level, um, we can actually read the same article. And then the same like concepts and stories, but each at our own reading level. Um, and then we we could read it and then come back and discuss and debate those same exact topics, topics having read the same concepts and stories. What reading level do you prefer reading these articles at? It's kind of fun to toggle sometimes to see to see like how text complexity adjusts when you when you shift. I think like students usually often do prefer their actual reading level. Um, so I would prefer the original article because that has the most context, um, or sorry, not the most context. It has the most like detail, the most like the strongest spirit of the article. Um, inevitably, inevitably, when you do any sort of like translation or in our case like text uh, complexity modification, you are 
creating a new thing. You are like rewriting mm -hmm. some of it. You are like adding some context that might not be clear to other students. One question that people often ask is like, hey, wouldn't all students just pick like the second grade reading level so that it's easiest to read? Um, mm -hmm. And a lot of students do do that, but we also find a sizable number of students who like, do love that challenge. Um, and a lot of research shows that like, the, the zone of like proximal, I forgot the actual term, but the point, the number of words that you want to be able to understand is something around the ballpark of 95%, any more than that, and then it's too easy and, and you disengage mm. any less than that, then it's uh, too difficult and you don't understand what's going on and you also disengage. Um, and so there's, yeah, so there's like sizable number of students who are choosing like the right level that's like challenging enough for them, which is really neat to see. That's such a unique skill to be able to think at like, hmm, how would I think about this as a second grader? Because it's like the linguistic complexity, but also, you know, like what are the concepts that a second grader would understand? Exactly. Yeah. And that's when like so much of the where so much of the expertise from teachers comes in. Yeah. Like someone like us could open up a document and see, hey, like a second grader should know what a period means. Um, they should know when to use a comma. Um, mm. but it, it's so much harder for me to know, hey, would a second grader know where the Middle East is? Like if we have mentioned the Middle East, do we need a picture of the Middle East? Do we need to describe what the Middle East is? Or do we just mm. assume that second graders know where the Middle East is? And yeah, also being more disconnected from the youth as you are, um, not even having a TikTok, like I don't know the answer to that. And so that's mm. yeah, very much a skill that um, our levelers take into account. How did you make the move from, in your career pathing experience, <laughs> how did you make the move from the teaching side? And I know you worked at Coursera for a while. Maybe you can talk about that. Um, but from the teaching slash business side into HR. For me, I realized that the parts of my job that I enjoyed the most were the parts around, were, were like HR related. So what I mean by that is, um, having joined a small company um, back at Coursera where we were 30 people large and uh, didn't have someone fully dedicated to the employee experience um, or talent management, just recruiting. Being in that position, it meant like all of us had to wear a bunch of different hats, including HR. I just remember like being at the office, oftentimes like past midnight, like working on something like an onboarding guide for a new employee. And was thinking back on how, how much fun that was <laughs> when I think on back on like my biggest accomplishments and what I love to do the most, I guess more so, was the parts of that were like growing the organization. So making sure that it's a healthy, thriving, engaged culture that's really high performing. Yes, I love the functional aspect of what I was, what, what I was like actually tasked with doing and like what my performance was actually measured on. But um, the most fun parts were certainly that, um, the, the HR side of things. And so, um, yeah, that's why I decided to make that my full-time full -time role. It sounds like there's a lot of overlap between teaching and HR too. Well, there's so much like educational, mm -hmm. <laughs> what am I trying? <laughs> there's a lot of training and education involved in, you know, hiring and managing people. Absolutely. Yeah. And also like as a teacher, you're uh, one of the things that they say is like super important in your classroom is like figuring out as you know, it's like, what's the right culture, the right vibe that you want to um, build? Like, like the, how do you build that safe space in your classroom? Like you are the, you're wearing many hats as a teacher, but like the HR hat, the culture hat, um, the rules and processes and procedures. And um, like, that's a huge part of teaching. Absolutely. Yeah, mm. that's absolutely right. What's the hardest part about your job? Is it firing people? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's letting people go is never easy. Um, I think you're right in that. That's one of the tougher things that that I would be involved with. It has taken me some time to get to the point, like closer to the point of acceptance um, where I am now. And the way I've gotten there has been through a, like a lot of a lot of mentorship, like from my manager, from other people at the company, from other people in the HR space. Um, and and I think the realization that I've like slowly come to realize and have is that when you're letting someone go it's oftentimes like most of the time it's also what's best for them if someone isn't fitting in an organization the worst thing you could do for them is to like keep them there drag it out and defer their own goals and their own aspirations and defer their own like being able to utilize their, their own skill sets to the fullest extent that doesn't always make the conversation any easier um, it doesn't make the short term any easier because it's yeah it's a big deal to 
move companies after you've invested so much into building that organization. But that conversation can be done in a more humane way. It can be done in a way that recognizes that uh, all that all that they've done, and that recognize it one where it recognizes that, hey, we think there's a better path for you, um, and it may not be here. Mm, that's such a useful framing, though, because I've had a few guests on um, the podcast who've talked about being let go from a job as being the best thing that's happened to them hmm. because otherwise they would have never taken the leap and they wanted to do something else but didn't have the courage to you know step away from a stable salary yeah yeah absolutely inertia is like one of the most dangerous things i think to or most hindering things to careers like and being letting go as well as like and thinking about other jobs i think like people too rarely think about, hey, like, what are my other options? Like, hey, where, what, where do I, what are the skills I want to have? Can I get those here? Um, if so, great. But if not, then like, what does that look like? Um, mm. And I think having like really open and honest conversations, even with your direct manager about that, um, can be a very good thing. Are you familiar with the concept of a tour of duty? There's a book written by the uh, co-founders of LinkedIn who they ascribe this concept of, hey, like. Let's borrow this term from the military where you sign up for a tour of duty with a specific mission. Um, you complete the mission and then at the end, like you reassess with your supervisor, how did it go? Uh, what do you want to be different the next time? If there is a next time, do we want there to be a next time? Do we want to continue this? If so, like what does that look like? Um, and so having that really uh, direct feedback around, hey, what's expected of you for this like set amount of time, um, Ending that, both acknowledging that both people have other options. The person can stay if they want, and the manager wants, the manager could ask them to leave, the person may want to leave, um, but just really openly acknowledging that that's a possibility, um, I think helps so many conversations and um, and opens up the conversation so much more to like other possibilities. Because right now it's like just so opaque and so hidden and mysterious that mm -hmm. it's oftentimes like a surprise to um, to either party. Yeah, I think the conventional way is like you don't like if you're thinking about leaving a job and looking for new jobs, like you do not tell your manager because then they might just let you go. And that comes with at will employment in this country. Right. Mm -hmm. um, but I think you're right. in like from a culture and career growth aspect, it makes so much more sense for both parties to be honest up front and say and, and like check in and be able to help each other because that helps both sides. Absolutely. Some of our listeners are startup founders or business owners, and I'd love to hear what you think, like where startups get it wrong with HR sometimes. I know that's a big topic. Um, like what are some of the strategies that you recommend thinking about either like from day one or as people are building out their teams? Yeah. Yeah. I love that question. I, I think the first thing that comes to mind is that whenever people are trying to figure out how to do something related to HR, they, uh, like, what's the first thing we do? We Google, like, hey, career ladder or um, performance improvement plan or, like, onboarding plan. I think the field of, like, the more progressive side of HR is still so new that there isn't nearly as much research into, like, what works in um, modern companies and organizational behavior compared to, um, say, like, in finance, there, there's the right way to do something. Is a right way to like forecast headcount, for instance. But mm -hmm. um, there's so there's not really a one size fits all with organizations. Like there's no right set of values that you should ascribe your company to. There's no like right way of onboarding someone. There's no like right way of um, deciding your compensation philosophy as a company. One, I think people don't recognize that enough. Um, and two, once they do recognize that, I think a huge part of it is about like deeply knowing your organization, where they are today, and what is the culture you want it to be. I think we can get a lot more creative with our practices. Like onboarding can look like a host, a slew of so many different things, depending on what our goals are. Um, and there's, again, there's no right way of doing it, but the, I, but I think like one right way of doing that is, um, regardless of how you do it, is to make sure you're super communicative and transparent about your goal and your culture and your philosophy around that. Um, so long as you have that hammered out, hammered down at a very high level, and so long as people know and understand that, then they can sign on to it and and be more bought into it. 
And so that, I think that's the important piece. It's to it's to like get that down on paper, make sure that people live it, understand it, um, whatever the it is. That's super helpful. I wish I was taking notes, but this is recorded, so it's perfect. Um, <laughs> we're coming towards the end of our time, but I do want to ask you one last question, which is, are you living out your dream? Like on this podcast? Absolutely. <laughs> is, was that a trick question? Did I get it no, right? No, not a, not a trick question, <laughs> but you got it right. <laughs> JK. Okay. But yeah, Good like in terms of career and where you're at in life. Yeah, I... I'm generally very optimistic. And so, yes, like I have been super appreciative of all the opportunities I've had of how supportive the people in my life have been, my mentors, my friends, family, my coworkers, um, folks like you. And so, yeah, I absolutely feel extremely fortunate in that um, I had a rough idea of a plan for my life and that it's like taken a different direction, but still like something that I very much um I'm appreciative and satisfied with. I very much think about the small and the big things as well. And so like that, so like that's the big stuff. Um, I think on a daily basis too, I, I love what I do. I love working with people. I love helping managers become like more effective managers. Um, the other day, like someone messaged me saying like, I was looking at my calendar calendar um, a couple of days ago and was so relieved to see that we had a meeting on our calendar, on, on my calendar for this week. And because I needed it so much um, to mm. talk through some things. And yeah, I, I feel like the people side is very much underutilized. And so I love being in that function. I feel like uh, being in education tech is something that like really is important to me. Like having the backgrounds that we have, it's something I love um, and feel connected to in addition to having so many other things like in the hierarchy of needs. So, so absolutely, I am pretty optimistic and pretty, pretty satisfied. Here comes the sun. Da, 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 you remembered. Da, da, da. Oh my gosh. I was gonna. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I gotta do it. Like last chance. <laughs> I had totally forgotten, um, but you really brought us home there. You know, I don't think people have music, like musical podcasts where they just start talking and then burst out into song as part mm, of the narrative. Ooh, like a musical theater style podcast. Yeah, like that'll totally blow Guy Raz's podcast out of the water. You try singing soprano, Guy Raz. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> you're onto something. Anyway, this was a blast. You're really fun to talk to. Um, so are I say you. that Thank like you. I'm surprised, but probably because we don't catch up enough. If folks are interested in following you on the internet or reaching out to learn more, where can they find you? I guess LinkedIn is the pro proper answer, right? <laughs> yeah, or like you can if find you're on me on Instagram. TikTok or LinkedIn. Your pick. <laughs> I'm just Mark just Pan the two on LinkedIn. Opposite ends of the spectrum. <laughs> right. And that is a wrap. Thank you so much for tuning in. Did you learn anything new today about education or HR? I would love to know. And be sure to subscribe to the podcast on YouTube, Spotify, Apple, or wherever you are listening. And I will talk to you guys on the internet and see you next Tuesday.